This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. to the first episode of the Old School Blues Podcast. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Vince, sitting alongside one of my co-hosts, Eric Tankar. Hey, folks. You may recognize Eric's voice from various other podcasts on our network, but we have another co-host who's silently waiting in the background. You may know him. You may have heard him. You may want to hear more of him. You may not want to hear more of him. Mr. James Bond. Nobody, Nobody wants to hear more of me, so, but... Greetings, folks. Round of applause. Round of applause. Yay. I should get my sound effects going here. But uh, anyway, we are your core three. We are the people here that Eric has described as more experienced than experience itself. Which is incorrect. Yeah, I know. As Donka is making a guest appearance this week, a cameo, so to speak, on this very podcast. Right, Eric? She can't help herself. She hears Vince's voice. (laughs) It seems like every time we do a show, she does bark, which is funny. But anyway, our website, DGS Texas, we're part of the Dead Game Society. We're a Texas chapter, but we're just doing a podcast for old school gaming. We're going to focus mostly on D&D and the OSR, but more so on the OSR. So you all have... Wait, I should do the Texas like. If y'all have a product you want us to y'all review... No, I did that wrong, James, didn't I? I don't know. You did. If y'all got us a product you want us to review, just send it on over and we'll give it a look-see real quick. There you go. Right, no, it's right quick. Down here in Texas, right quick. Oh, see, I'm Carolina. I was originally a Carolina boy, so. That's right. But yeah, if you if y'all have a product you want us to review that's coming out, we'll gladly take a look at it and help you promote it somehow on the air because people will listen. And if they like what they hear, they'll definitely head over there and look it up. So in case you don't, know who we are. Let's go over that real quick. Obviously, I'm Vince. I run another podcast, Roll for Initiative. I am, I guess, I, I don't know, I guess the evil mastermind behind Wild Games Productions. I don't think you've, you've described it as that, James. That's, that's apt. Apt, not to mention the um, the uh, uh, the creator of the any award-winning Mazes and Perils, which is now in its deluxe edition. Yes, it is in its deluxe edition, available on DriveThruRPG right now. And we're doing another show. Hopefully this one will take off. So I'm going to step over to you, James, since you're very chatty right now. Let's hear a little bit about you because people don't know who you are. No, yeah, I'm just some dude. Um, I'm James Spawn. I'm, I'm the, uh, the halfling mastermind behind Barrel Rider Games, which is probably most well-known for White Star, White Box science fiction role-playing. Um, I'm also put out about 70 or 80 uh, Labyrinth Lord PDFs, uh, several Swords and Wizardry white box supplements, a couple of Swords and Wizardry complete supplements. I've freelanced on the One Ring Middle Earth role-playing game and uh, freelanced on Star Wars Force and Destiny for Fantasy Flight Games. Yay! Woohoo! And last but not least, Eric Tankar, everybody. Yay! Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have the pedigree that these uh, fine gentlemen have. Uh, I am probably best known for my blog, Tank Cars Tavern. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, and the community that's formed up around it. So if, if you're listening from the community, I'm here because of you, man. Uh, yes. <laughs> this past week, I just announced uh, Frog God Games is making Swords and Wizardry Light an official Swords and Wizardry flavor. It's going to it's Flavor. aiming for four pages. Can I get it in, in chocolate? No. Oh. It don't have the chocolate. And it's only going to be a four pages long. Now, you see, you're making me do a bad Italian. Watch I don't... Go, go back to your Bernie accent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tempting, tempting, but I'm probably close enough to it as a New Yorker anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, we, I'm currently working on Swords and Wizardry Light. My previous published stuff is few and far between, and you'd have to go back years, so don't bother. Um, and by the time you hear this podcast, we should have announced the Swords and Wizardry Sage program with Frog God Games, wherein uh, little old me will be your official answerer of rules questions and uh, other things, swords and wizardry related. There will be a Facebook page okay. and a link on the Frog Guy Games and probably at the tavern itself. So so how does that work, Eric? Tell, tell us how that works. If you have a question, okay. you will post it. I've seen questions such as if I have two magical weapons and I'm dual wielding, which bonuses do I get? That's a damn good question and that's something that will be answered through the Sage program and the really tough questions because if it's a question that I can I can source through prior material, AD&D, D&D, 2E, something that actually addresses it, we'll use that as a precedent. But Matt Finch has agreed to be available for the really tough questions. So these questions and answers will be vetted through Frog Guy Games. You will uh, have them answered. It should be a lot of fun. And that's 10carstavern.com. Yes. What? When? No, I'm just having flashbacks. Never oh, mind. tankerstavern.blogspot.com. <laughs> yes. No, 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 yes. no. That was a joke from uh, Glenn Halstrom from uh, Thacko's Hammer. He couldn't remember the email, the uh, <laughs> URL, and he kept saying uh, tankerstavern.blogspot.com. No, tankerstavern.com. Uh, you can check also, I don't really po- pl- uh, post anymore. Well, I may start doing it now, the evildm.com. And James, yours, your blog was? Halflingsluck.com. Halflingsluck.com. I keep thinking it's the Traveling Spellbook. I don't know why. It was originally the Traveling Spellbook, but I changed it to Halflings Luck. The first three posts were under Traveling Spellbook. Apparently, but I couldn't get the domain name, so I changed it to Halflings Luck. Apparently I read yeah. the first three posts, and that's where I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's I totally understand why. <laughs> I tried. I don't know. I don't have a lot of time to read blog posts, except for Eric, because I'm looking for jabs at certain people, but that's between me and the people. I so. don't jab. I might fake and... No, no, I look, right. I look for the jabs. Not the saying that you make the jabs. I look for the okay. jabs. Okay. Eric, Eric doesn't jab. He just calls it like he sees it. Yeah. Right. Cold, cold cock punch. Anyway, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, it'd be oldschoolpodcast at dgstexas.com. Our website, dgstexas.com. Now... Let's get on to the show. Our topic for this week, we're going to talk a little bit about time travel. And for a reference point, I think we'll use the movie The Time Machine 
just because it's a cool concept and the movie was kind of interesting at least the remake I saw was a little more interesting than the 1960s version of the movie did anyone see the 60s version of the movie yeah, I saw the 60s version of the movie probably on uh, the 430 movie on Channel 7 back when I was like 15. I've never seen the 60s version, but I did see the newer version that you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, uh, it was updated, obviously, with, you know, different, a little bit different uh, effects and everything compared to the 60s. So uh, Yeah. The Morlocks or whatever they're, yeah, Morlocks are a lot better looking, not as weird looking as the 60s ones, but, you know. So, time travel. Anybody use time travel in their games? I know Eric, you said you had a good concept for time travel recently. Uh, no, I, yeah, I've used time travel, uh, not in years, but I've used it to reboot a campaign. Mm-hmm. When you, you know, so when your party goes into the dungeon and they go through one of those magical transporters that you use to screw around the mapping, and they finally get out, and they get back to town. 100 years have passed. Now, for them, it ha- it's been a couple of days, but for the world, it's 100 years. Now you can change all the NPCs, you can change uh, the dynamics, nobody knows them, so now they're a blank slate. It, you know, Or if they remember them, they don't believe in them, because it's 100 years ago. Oh, that party that went into the dungeon and wasn't seen again? No, you can't be them. You'd be, you'd all be old and dead right now. It's a great way to change something if you feel it's getting slow and I think going into the future is easier than going into the past because if there's a past especially if you're using a setting like Forgotten Realms where there's so much in the past your players are going to go back and go I know all this stuff or they're going to do things that they want to change time in the future because they're PCs they're your players they're going to want to screw with your campaign it's what they do yeah that that or they go back in time and then you get into arguments at the table about, you know, the butterfly effect and this co- X causes Y and, you know, no, X causes so, Z. And, you know, it's like, no, just just, just stop, please. Let, let's pull it back for a second and let's get your opinion. What form of time travel do you prescribe to, James? There's, um, the, there's with, the back to the future and then there's the butterfly effect and then there's the... Um, the one that time bends itself around you because you're ha- happening in the moment, so it doesn't really affect you where you right. are. I think so, what the time stream where time is like a flowing of water and it, yeah. So which yeah. one, do, James? Which one do you? It depends on the genre I'm playing in. Um, some games have more, you know, concrete. Uh, forget the game. Conventions. Forget the game. Let's let's go with what you believe. Uh, as well, James, as what does James believe? Um, uh, personally, if time travel were possible and you could go back in time, I think the events would create, it's the quantum mechanics theory of different events create different timelines. Okay. So you, when you went to the future, you wouldn't go into the future of the timeline you have now created by being present where you weren't previously. But do you believe in the effect of whatever you do will cause something to be happen, preventing you from doing something, thus, thus this, that? Not exactly. What happens is, like, let's say, you know, the three of us go back in time 50 years. Um, or we go back in time and we, I don't know, kill Hitler. Um, by making him play 4th edition. Um, Whoa. But, oh, in other words, he committed suicide. Yeah, exactly. Just exactly. like in real life. Exactly. The edition that shall not be named. Yeah, exactly. So we go back in time and we kill Hitler, and then we go back to the present. 
we don't go back to the present we started in. We go back to the present that was created by okay. us killing Hitler. There is then no way to get back to that present. You basically have created an alternate timeline that you are now stuck on. Okay, so you're looking at the Back to the Future theory there. Uh, yes, where, you know, Doc Brown has the chalkboard and he's yes. got 1985A and then the 1985 where Biff is there <laughs> and running the show. Yes, they're stuck in the 1985 where Biff, you know, became, you know, the head of Hill Valley. Um, but in my mind, you can't fix it, even if you go back to when before you did what you did in the first place, because your presence, no matter what you do, creates an alternate timeline. Mm-hmm. Eric, what, what about you? What's your philosophy there? Uh, well, see, I, I tend to avoid all that by sending people into the future. Yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'll give you a chance to think there since I put you on the spot. Um, I kind of go with the whole philosophy that time bends itself around you, so no matter what action you take, nothing will affect you personally. Yes, the future will be changed. Yes, you'll be skewed, like you said, in your Back to the Future timeline. But like how Marty did something in the past that affected the future for him, he started to fade away. Mm-hmm. You, in the, the philosophy, I believe you will not fade away, or you will not be affected in any way. I don't believe that'll be true. And and some RPGs address time travel directly. Like I've been reading uh, Feng Shui too. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is an awesome game, um, and it has time travel is a huge element in that game. But what you do that unless you do huge major changes the timeline will will write itself and you can usually only go back to like four or five specific points with some exceptions but unless you like do major stuff the timeline doesn't really change minor things might change but not a whole lot all right um some games and it's nice to have games where they address time travel directly so you understand how it works within that game well, you have Time Master, which is based upon traveling through time. But in that game, you have the aliens that are trying to go back and screw with time to their advantage. And you're attempting to go back and correct whatever uh, right. change they're trying to make. Like Quantum Leap type thing? Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. It was. It, it's actually a, uh, it's a nice game. Uh, it's... Uh, I think Goblinoid Games yeah, publishes Gobl- it now. That's a Goblinoid Games pace setter game. Yeah, I, I had the original box set from pace setter. When I went to North Texas for the first time two years ago, that was Rachel's first full-table RPG. Tim Schneider ran the game. I chose it specifically because, A, I know Tim Schneider is a nut and would run a great game, and I figured, B, nobody else at the game besides maybe me would have any idea how the rules go. So everybody would be, and of course Tim. So every, everybody would be on an even keel, and Rachel would not have been in the, what the heck do I do? And everybody else knows what to do in this position. So, and it, and it's, it's a good game for what it does. It really is, it, it's a lot of fun. And and games that are built around time travel, it really works. It's when you have a game where players go back in time, and the game doesn't generally cover that that you start getting arguments with the players, whereas this is one of the rare cases where it's good to say, no, the book says this. Right. Uh, I hate that. Most of the time I hate it too. It really drives me berserk, but time travel is one of the rare instances where it can prevent endless ad nauseum arguments at the table. I think time travel works better in games like Star Wars or, or Star Trek, too, for example, than in D&D, to be honest. I, 
I've never done Star or Star Wars time travel, and I've played a lot of Star Wars over the years, but no. that would be interesting. Yeah, there's some. I, I haven't done it as a as a GM myself. I've had been in a couple games that we had to time travel back to fix something that we screwed up. So, well, you see, like in D and D, you could use time travel as a temporary temporary trip forward to show the players, wow, if you fail what you're supposed to accomplish. This is what's gonna happen. So, like this the Terminator the effect. Kind of. <laughs> this, yeah. This, this is the future if you fail, and then you slingshot them back to. I did that actually. Time. actually did I, you? I did that on the um, that actual play podcast I ran a long time ago, uh, the Book of Sorrows. I had end, I left the entire thing on a cliffhanger. All of all of them. All the players finally got their characters to the end, right where the, they found out where the book was, what the dragon was going to do with the book, and how the dragon was going to vanquish everything. And they wound up making a wrong decision, what ki- killed the entire party. Like, it was a total wipeout. And then I was just like, everybody feels a shock, and boosh, and you're back, like, an hour back in the podcast where they first started, and they were learning about the book, and they are like, every one of you know what just happened in the future. Kind of like deal. Nice. I gave them a peek into the future and let them die to know what happened. Actually, it's funny. I actually, now that I think about it, I just a couple weeks ago I was running DCC and we had a time travel incident, sort of. Basically, the whole party got killed in an encounter except for the, the priest. And the priest made a divine intervention role and her god, who is the god of secrets, um, she said, I need you to reverse time um, because we don't want to die. And the god said, all right, you need to, I'll do it, but you need to get every dark secret out of all of them. You're the only one who knows the time travel happened in the first place, and you can never tell them what happened. And she was like, oh, God. Um, but it was yeah, yeah. it was good because everyone at the table knew what happened. Nobody argued about, you know, well, it would actually work this way. They just ran with it and had fun, but that's because my local group is kind of awesome. So she had to get all the dark secrets out of all the mm-hmm. characters? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that was that was the price her god wanted. Uh, God of Secrets, so. And DCC is like, you know, really dark and unforgiving like that, and everybody's callous and, 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 you know, jaded. So it was like, all right, I'll send you back, but you can't tell them what you did, and you need to find out all their deep, dark secrets and then reveal them publicly. Damn. Yeah, it was, it, well, and then three seconds later, we had a TPK, so it didn't matter. <laughs> oh, well, that is DCC. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They they loved it. They loved the game. They loved the Gonzo nature, but the attrition rate was so much that they were like, "Can can we try something else for a while?" This was, they they kept describing it as D and D on hard mode. Well, take a little tangent off there, um, like with DCC, I love the adventures. The system was good, but I love the adventures more than I than the system. So that I I tend to take them and and run those adventures in Swords and Wizardry. Which is a blast, and I have, because See, those I, players have a better chance of surviving too. Well, and that's one of the things I want to do is take some of the adventures and use them in in non DCC settings because the adventures are so original, and and so much flavor in them. But the players were just they got to the point where they were afraid to do anything because everything might kill them. Yeah, DCC is a little swingy, which is part of its charm. Oh, they, they they loved playing the game, and they loved like the experience of the game. But the the problem they had, and I, I think I would call it a valid concern, especially because these are gamers who came into the hobby through third editions. So they didn't have that OSR experience or mindset. Oh. Right. Um, was the high attrition rate prevented them from 
they could feel like they couldn't get invested in their characters because this guy's probably going to die. So I shouldn't get too invested in him. So they wouldn't develop their backstories very strongly and they wouldn't role play terribly heavily, which for them is still a lot of role playing. <laughs> but when we got done, when they had the total party wipe, I was like, do you guys want to keep playing DCC? And they're like, no. we and we're not sure. Can we try something and come back to it? Which to me was shorthand for no. Right. <laughs> so, no, you're right. We really don't want to tell you flat out, James, because yep. we don't want to hurt your feelings, but no. Exactly. Exactly. But they, they had a blast while we played it, which told me that for this group, DCC is a good game for like short mini campaigns where they can they can go in, do their thing. And then roll out. They they love the funnel. They love the Gonzo magic. They love the the, the weird mechanics. Um, but just the high attrition rate uh, really, I, I wouldn't say it, it didn't upset them, but it, it disappointed them. Uh, but but it did create some epic scenes. We had a scene where everybody in the party was unconscious or dead except for one zeroth level funnel monkey, and he saved the entire party. Um, and it was just this epic moment where everybody's looking at the dice and he's rolling and they're like, oh, God, it's all up to you, man. It's all up to you. And he picked up the warrior's sword that was on the ground and covered in blood and fought off the ghoul. And everyone's like, yeah, oh, you know, man. so it was they, they didn't feel like they had a bad experience at all. They and that was the important thing to me. And if they wanted to play something else, I was like, OK, I'll run pretty much almost anything I have if you're enthusiastic about it. That works. Nothing like so, sitting around the table and the, that crucial roll. You're all looking at that one person. He's got the dice in his hands and he rolls mm-hmm. it, and it. And then the number comes up and it's like. You and know. That, that, that's exactly what everybody was hunched around that table waiting for, for Dave to drop that die. Uh, and just they, they knew life or death of everyone at the table hung with that one roll. I, 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 if, I remember if you had Tim Shorts in the group, it would have been a natural one. <laughs> well, the funny thing was that the combat went back and forth for three rounds with neither of them hitting each other, and the tension just kept ratcheting up because they knew whoever got hit first was going to die. Oh. Uh, so it, it was it was a lot of fun. It was it was a short but successful campaign. I think we played like four or five sessions. You know what? Nice. Time travel works well in also uh, superhero games. Yes. Especially Marvel, uh, TSR's Marvel, especially. Like, how many times one of... Uh, uh, when we used to DM with uh, DM Joe, uh, the great G- DM Joe, as we call him on RFI. Oh, uh, you're off key, James. <laughs> I'm very off key. That's why I didn't even try. I knew it, but I wasn't gonna try. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it's oh yeah. Uh, anyway, he would throw all these weird things at us, and I don't know. I lost my train of thought now because I was thinking about you singing that song. <laughs> Now every time you now every time you say the great Joe DM, I'm going to say it off key intentionally. Oh, wonderful! So let it be written. So let it be done. He uh, he used to run a lot of uh, Marvel with us when we weren't playing D and D. If someone didn't show up, he would break out the Marvel. We'd have great characters. He would let us pick any character we wanted from the Marvel universe. So like one guy's like, "I'll be Galactus." He's like, "Okay." <laughs> so he was he was cool like that. One of the neat things about Marvel, and, and this is interesting, Marvel is really, I think, a really good one for time travel because you have such a strong continuity and the Marvel RPG ended in the 80s. You can send them back to the 80s and use that material to create a really solid, grounded setting because yeah. you have all this Marvel source material and all these heroes as they existed in that time. Yeah, it's true. 
it's already in the books because all the books are from the 80s. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I think an interesting thing to do as far as old school uh, time travel would be Top Secret and Top Secret SI because, you know, they have a very 60s or 80s vibe depending on which one you go with. So to jump between them from, you know, early Cold War to mid-Cold War would be kind of interesting. So, oh, speaking about Top Secret, Top Secret SI, what's that game? I just recently saw it in North Texas RPG Gone uh, forums. Oh, The Price of Freedom. Oh, I oh. saw that. I saw that. They were talking about that, and they were just like, I'm like, what game is that? They're like, oh, it's a game from the 80s done by West End Games. I'm about to say West End Games. Mm -hmm. oh, I and had so, that. I, I was just like, years ago. I was like, I had to find that game because I love, like, Top Secret SI. I love the whole spy, you know, fighting against the, the Soviets there in the 80s and everything. So I picked it up, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Price of Freedom was pretty much uh, Red Dawn with the serial numbers. Serial numbers filed off, yep. <laughs> that and Twilight 2000 was also oh, very cool. Twilight 2000, oh, yeah. I, I played that. I didn't run the game. My friend Andrew ran that game. Oh my god, it was if if you liked, uh, living or dying, not based upon encounters but upon resources, that was it. Yeah, well, Twilight 2000 was hide in the mountains and hope you don't starve. Yeah, pretty much. Well, the thing about the Price of Freedom, which. <laughs> You guys have read The Price of Freedom, I assume, right? Yeah. It's been a long time, but yeah. Long time, but yeah. Uh, the Price of Freedom is a joke inside of a joke, so... <laughs> it's basically the, the right-wing conspiracy nut... You know, tinfoil hat-wearing version of, like, wargaming. So it's a joke inside of a joke type game. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, if you read it, it's all like... Basically, you know, like, oh, yeah, um... I can't think of... Oh, I'm lost in the 80s now, help me. <laughs> oh, Let's equate it to today's terms. Obama's the president. He's trying to take my guns type thing. You know, oh, okay. equate that to the 80s. I couldn't think of something fast enough. Yep. That's how the price of freedom. But supposedly it's a really great game, and I'm just getting into reading it. I didn't know it existed. but. And that's one thing, speaking of time travel, if you have RPGs where they have supplements where, like I know for the newer version of Vampire, I think it was Vampire Requiem, which as a game I didn't really like. Oh, yeah. I prefer the, the the original Masquerade. Thank you. But they did a supplement set in the 80s specifically that was very, very, very good. Yeah, it was. Um, but that'd be, you know, that's another thing. If you have a, a setting with the source material for an alternate time period, it makes time travel a lot easier. So that's where you can actually use that with, uh, like, Call of Cthulhu. And, you know, you could start your people out in uh, the 2030s, bring them back to 1890s. There's a lot of stuff you could do with well, that because well, you have it, great source material. Here's an interesting idea. What if you took a Call of Cthulhu game set in the 1890s or the 1920s, moved it to the modern day, except Cthulhu awoke? And what's the world like over 100 years later now that Cthulhu and the old ones are back? You know, you could do this kind of Cthuloid post-apocalypse kind of thing. Oh yeah, then uh, Delta Green becomes a really great source book for that. Well, imagine, imagine Delta Green in a um, in a Price of Freedom era where they're like, you know, these these strike teams up in the mountains, you know, trying to do these futile raids on a you know a swarm of Migo or you know a cult who's you know still only alive because you know Cthulhu and whoever haven't eaten him yet. Damn it! No. Damn. I'm gonna watch Red Dawn again. Thanks. Oh no! Well, watch the original, please. Oh, not not the new one. God no! Don't. I like the new one too. Shut up. 
it just wasn't the same, man. It just, you know, well, it, it's, it's it just not there. If you re, you have, remaking that movie would make no sense right now. That's why they did it the way they did it. Oh, I get why they did it. And um, I Red Dawn was one of those movies that stuck with me because it was, oh, it was in that John Hughes era of films. And the original Red Dawn is really brutal and graphic. Yeah. Like, I watched it when I was a kid, yeah. and I was like, oh, God, these are, they're like killing children. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it was, it was very much, uh, it did not pull punches, and was very much a piece of, uh, a creation of its time. And while it was, you know, overblown, and high school kids would never be able to, probably not be able to accomplish those things, it also, people died, and it was like, oh, God. Like, I remember being like, I wouldn't say scarred, but certainly I remember that film and seeing the kids laying there with like blood coming out of their mouth, and it's like they're dead. So, time travel. Um, Back to the Future series supposed to have flying cars. Where are they? Um, Hello? people can't drive in two dimensions. <laughs> what What makes you think? Could you imagine some? You know, somebody who's you know, a bad driver on the street if you gave them something that went through the air? Well, that's why you have self-driving cars that they're working on, so... That, that way the computer hackers can hack those and, you know, play bump, play Frogger with our, you know, flying DeLoreans. Domino's going to be using drones to deliver your pizza. Watch yeah, out. I saw that. I saw that. Oh, they're using drones now, too? Yeah. They're, they're testing them. The problem is is getting they, they haven't gotten them to figure out things like there's a tree there. There's a fence there. Wasn't Amazon supposed to have drones released this year that never happened? They did happen, but they're very localized. Like, if there's an Amazon warehouse in a major metropolitan area, they'll send out your packages if you, like, live in that city. If you live two feet from it, the thing yeah, will be yeah. fine. Pretty much. If you live a couple miles from the distribution center, you can you can drone it. But uh, at least I think that's how it works. How cool but, would that but be? But like man. like most of us, you gotta wait a couple days. Dude, how cool would that be? You look out your door, you see a little drone like drop the package. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like it because I'm clumsy and I'd get my hair cut off or worse. Well, yeah, I don't like it either. I, I figured it would just kind of like throw the package at your door and leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I you have get to there. Pop- that's the postal service. I have them throwing my packages up. I don't think it's going to be like, attention, James Spawn, please come outside. You'd like grab your gun and think they were coming to get you or something. Well, well, and then what if you order something fragile? What if you order like a glass vase and you get a <laughs> box of just crap? It's like, ah, oh, shoot. Speaking of time travel, what if you have a device that can't carry people through time but can carry objects? You know, drones go up so high and they hit these temporal portals and you start getting packages from the future. That would be interesting. We, we did it. Uh, actually, that triggered that actually triggered an adventure I had from another DM Joe, not the DM Joe. When he ran an adventure, he had. Uh, that's, uh, not, that's not you doing Flash Gordon there for a minute, dude. <laughs> anyway. Joe. Uh. Joe. What? Yeah. Uh, he had my character. He's like, make up a modern day character. You can be yourself if you want. I'm like, yeah, like I want a big fat guy back in the D&D time running around. No, no, thank you. So I made up a modern gay, modern gay time guy. Wow. What? Modern day time guy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was trying to think. Oh, like, all right, so he has a really cool van from the 80s with like the lion on their side. <laughs> I don't know why I wanted that, but he let me have it. So I had my guy and he had... um. Uzis, because I figured he'd have Uzis, because always 80s movies, people and bad guys with headbands had Uzis. Come on. And no gun ever had recoil. Nope. Never had recoil. What is recoil? recoil? 
no recoil here. And I said to him, I said, since this is the 80s and in every gun like has unlimited bullets, right? And he's like, mm, I'll, I'll give that to you, fine. <laughs> but I did run out of gas while I was time traveling and I had to use alcohol until my van broke down. So. I mean, sounds like me in real life. <laughs> you were going green. No, no, I was going poor. You were going green? Something. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about time travel? As far as gaming goes, uh, send your characters into the future for a lot less problems than sending them into the past. I second that motion. It does clear up a lot of problems, yeah, because you don't have to figure anything out, but I don't know. I just think going to the past makes things a little I, more interesting. Well, I, th there's a certain element of familiarity there. I agree with that. Um, but it, I've just, it always creates hassles unless the game is designed to accommodate that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, it, 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 I, you know, your mileage may vary, and of course it always depends on the group. But I, I've never had a game, unless the game was designed to do it, where they went to the past and people didn't get into arguments about how it would affect the time stream. Yeah, that's when it comes too geeky and everyone starts breaking out the books and looking mm -hmm. everything up and it's just ugh. But then again, it can work. Like, um, I'm I'm a big fan of the of the, the Dragonlance novels, and the, the second big Dragonlance trilogy is built on a time travel storyline. Mm. You know, so oh. it can it can work, and it can work in games where it's not normal. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I remember really, the... Yeah, I, I loved the first three back in the day. And the second three was kind of weak compared to the first three. I, I, I'm I a total Dragonlance fanboy if Weiss and Hickman wrote it. It's when you get into, like, all the ancillary stuff that's like, Jesus, can you milk this even more? Um, well, one could try, but... Oh, and they do. Um, but I actually started rereading them recently, and... Um, they are, it's weird as an adult reading something you read 25 years ago and thought was the best thing ever. I'm still having a lot of fun reading them, but they are not the high and epic prose that I remember them being. Did you yeah. enjoy Dragonlance with just Weiss without Hickman? Hickman without yeah. Weiss? I like the stuff with of Weiss without Hickman. I don't think Hickman ever did anything by himself, but uh, I think the only stuff Weiss did by herself was the Raceland stuff. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm like apparently the only Dragonlance fanboy out there who isn't a big fan of Raceland. I, I don't find him engaging or likable. Um, basically, he's, an ang he's every angry gamer teenager's fantasy ever. Um, everybody hates me. I'm different. I'm smarter than everyone. I'm going to rule them all one day. And uh, I'm just, okay, you know, yep. Be be a, be a hateful person, and that that'll that'll really get you far. So, it, Raceland, I get the appeal, but I'm also the guy who has always liked playing the lawful good paladin. So, Arrgh. since we're on the topic of Dragonlance, did anybody watch the animated movie? Yes. Um, I did. My eyes grew back after I gouged them out with the soup spoon. <sighs> I um, own it. I've yet to actually pop open the plastic in the year that I've had it. There, I was just there, wondering. Oh, you don't want to watch it. There's okay. an actually, I think there's an old interview on RFI with Tracy Hickman, and he sums it up really well. He says it's a great audio drama. Yes. And um, <laughs> I think that is the most accurate description of the of that film ever. It's a really good uh, truncated audio adaptation of the first novel. Um, so if you watch it, screw around on your computer while you're doing it so you don't have to look All at right. the screen. 
Um, it, it it upsets me not that it was necessarily because it was a bad movie, but because it, it I think it killed any chance of us getting something more legitimate. I don't say legitimate's not the right word, but more more expensive, bigger budget. You know. Nah, legitimate's the right word. Eh. Made you hate those gully dwarfs even more. I like gully dwarfs. Ugh. I played a gully dwarf once. He was awesome. The, no, that was awesome. The dwarven battle ranger kept trying to get him killed, and the dice just fell that he wouldn't die. So the gully dwarf thought he was invincible and kept like beating the crap out of everything by stupid luck, which is so gully dwarf it hurts. Yeah, true. But then again, I like Kender too. So. Oh boy, James yeah. opened up the worms. Halfling well, on well, speed. Well, okay, okay. Let, let me let me give the Kender argument. Go ahead. Okay, here's the here's the point of Kenner, and this this comes from because I'm a big fan of Tolkien, and they're they're basically halflings without being halflings. Kenner embody innocence and hope beyond all fear and all doubt, and I think that is important. It's when you get obnoxious players who want to use it to be a klepto jerkwad that they become a problem. I ran a Dragonlance game years ago where my wife played a Kenner, and uh, she played a Kenner who wanted who was like an orphan and had this really horrible, sad background who slept on the steps of an outpost of the knights and all she wanted to do was become a knight because they were good and they were doing good things in the world. And it was just this character who was innocent and pure and like everybody in the party liked her and they helped her try to break the Kender like kleptomania habit. And it was just, it was a great role-playing experience for everybody because she wasn't just like, I steal it, I steal it, I steal it. When I run Kender, Kender don't get to make their own pickpockets rolls. I roll, and I don't tell them when it happens, because Kender don't often realize they're doing it. True. Um, right. So that they can be functional in a group, and I think they're an integral part of the Dragonlance setting. So, end of Kender rant. But people play them like such jerks and that's, douches. That's not, that's not a problem with the Kender, that's a problem with the player. I still hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, dramatic pause there <laughs> for effect. But yeah, you're right. I, I do like that idea, actually, how you do the random rolls like that. Well, yeah, because Kenders aren't, they, they get really offended if you call them a thief. Because um, they don't knowingly steal. So it's kind of like you roll and you're like, oh, all of a sudden you notice you have this in your hand. Um, you might not even notice you have it in your hand at the time. You might go through your pouch later, a week later, and find this thing in the bottom. Well, where'd I get this? And that's exactly how it happens in the books. How many times in those books do you see Tasseloff turn out his pouches and be like, huh, where'd I get that? Yeah, true. That's that's how it happens. You know, the, the, He didn't consciously make that roll, so in my mind, the player didn't either. The DM was behind a screen. He rolled a pickpockets roll, didn't tell anybody he made the roll, made a note of what the item was, and then just stuffed it away for later. And how did you handle it when they failed the roll? Um, it depends how badly they failed. If they failed it really badly, they might get noticed. I played a Kendra once um, who first pickpocket roll out the gate rolled double zeros in a um, second edition game, which is like critical failure for your pickpockets. And I was I was unknowingly picking a Minotaur's pocket, so you can imagine how well that went. Uh-huh. And um, the party got very, very upset, and they were like trying to break up a, this Minotaur from killing me. And I said, no, 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 guys, it's okay, I speak Minotaur. And everyone's like, what? You took that as a language? Like, oh, yeah, I totally took that as a language. And they're like, all right, we'll talk. And I look at the Minotaur, and I went, no. <laughs> and then the bar brawl broke out. Um, but that's Kender taunting. 
and it was a zeroth level Minotaur. It was, you know, an NPC who wasn't going to kill the party. Um, and it established the character really well. Now, if I had known, like, if that Minotaur had been, like, a fifth level fighter or a sixth level barbarian, I wouldn't have done that. You have to roleplay your character in a way that, that contributes to the game and contributes to the party and isn't disruptive and, to a certain degree. And Kender can be that way. All right. Not these little munchkins on crack running around. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're not halflings with a cocaine and kleptomania problem. Though I think kleptomania is an apt description because I think, I believe true kleptomania, you don't realize you're doing it. Well, you don't realize you have a problem is what it is. Right, you know, okay. you they, they know they're doing it. They just don't, they don't think, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just take this one thing here. Mm-hmm. Ah, just, this is the last time. It's a compulsive disorder. Okay. But yeah, so Kendra are awesome. I don't care what anyone says. And it's not just because they're halflings. I know I have a halfling bias. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. Never let a Kendra play a wild mage. That's all I'm saying. No oh boy. I had someone want to do that once. And I was just like, nope. I'm I'm the person that always plays humans in games. And people always, through all the years, why are you playing a human, dude? You're a human in real life. Because that's what I want to be. Right, right. You can play I, an elf, I, dude. I don't want to be an. I want to be a human. And if you and if you use the old system the way it's written, if you use as much as people hate it, level limits make playing humans appealing. Yep. Um, I had a DM who played with level limits, but he said once if you're demi human and you reach your level limit, you just pay double XP, which was a nice way to circumvent it, um, and still make humans viable. Yeah, and that's I think, a common house rule. I always yeah. use it, yeah. Always use level limits when I play mm-hmm. first edition, and I even have it in Maze and Perils, too. Yeah, level yeah. Limits. And in later editions, they did make humans more viable. You know, third edition, they get an extra feat. Fifth edition, they get attribute bonuses, you know, very broadly. So, you know, humans always been a valid choice, and it should be. Demi-humans in most settings are supposed to be unusual. Well, it's, what, didn't Gary... Gary said the universe is a human-centric universe yep. anyway, so... Hum- humanocentric. Hum- sorry, humanocentric. Thank you, James. But yeah, but yeah I, I, you know, I, I, why are you playing a human? You know, because elves are jerks. That's why. Because they look like Spock. I don't know. No, elves, elves are... Okay, as much as I love Kendra, I hate elves, but that's another rant for another time. Uh-oh. Yep, you don't partial, want to get started. Partial to dwarves myself, but... There's a shock. Yeah, I know. Go figure that one out. Tankar the dwarf. Anyway, I think that's going to wrap up our first uh, show, our episode zero. Just a little chatter around the table for you to get used to our voices, get used to our styles. Hopefully you took something useful from this uh, podcast today and didn't sit there going, dude, these dudes are just like way off the chain, man. They don't know what they're talking about. Well, oh, man, like- it's like blues, man. We're working off each other. We, it's the interaction, yo. What we're trying to establish here is just the show is going to be sounding like we're just sitting around a table chatting, and you guys happen to be lurking at another table and mm-hmm. reading a book, waiting for your game to start. Yep. We've all been there at the gaming store. You, there's the three guys in the corner, or the four guys, and you're just like, well, I, you know, Captain Picard, and you're just like, ugh. And then, you know, you look back at then there's three guys, you know, uh, in T&D the other night we had this great adventure, and you're like, ooh, and you lean in real close and you listen. That's kind of what, what concept we're going for here. Very conversational. Casual, conversational. We're, there's going to be rules. It's going to be asked. We're going to talk about it. But we all have our preferred 
old edition of D&D. I prefer Holmes in first edition. Eric is a sword and wizardry guy. James, you lay in the sword and wizardry, but you're more Labyrinth or BX, right? For me, it's it's weird. I prefer to design and write for Swords and Wizardry White Box, mm-hmm. but when I sit down to play, I generally run Labyrinth Lord or BX because it's what I learned on, and there's a, there's a large nostalgia factor there. Right. So we each have our rule set that we like. So rule discussion, yeah, it'll come up. Yeah, we'll answer questions the best we can. Of course, we're not the leading authority. Well, Eric kind of is. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Huh? Okay, let me put you on the spot there, Eric. No pressure. No pressure at all. No pressure at all. None. Uh, none. Eric, on page none. seven of Sword and Wit... No, I'm just kidding. Well, and, and remember, <laughs> no matter what ruling anyone gives you, official or otherwise, it's your game. Yes. The, uh, rulings are guides. That's all they are. You know, and, and guides are... You know, if it doesn't fit your campaign, you throw it out. Yep. You rule the game, not the other way around. Yes, rulings, not rules. Or something like that, right? Yep, rulings, not rules, yep. Yeah. Unless, unless you're playing 4th edition, in which case, just stop it. Oh, yeah. yeah no. I see. I could see where the trend of this show is going to go in the future. <laughs> time I'm, travel, right? Look at that! I think I'm going to time travel back and make James not say that again. <laughs> Sorry. I, I will say this. Okay. Fourth edition is an excellent tactical miniatures game. Yes, it is. It's not unusual to dislike 4E. Da, 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 da. Sorry. And importantly, wizards learn from their mistakes with 4E. Like, they, the fifth ed, they, they took what worked, what little that worked, and from, you know, a lot of the previous editions, and I, I think 5E is a great game. They just took 3.5 and added old school elements to it. That's all they really did. I feel like it's a mashup. It's got a lot. I, I, there's a lot of second edition in there to me. Yeah, there is. You're right, but that's old school. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like there's a lot of old school stuff in there, and there's wow. some good stuff from fourth edition that works. I, I don't mind the rest healing thing because then you don't have to. All right, who's gonna play the cleric? I want a heal bot. Mm-hmm. Who's the heal bot? Why bother? We're gonna die anyway. Okay, Pooh Bear. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I honestly consider the the old school cutoff right after one of first edition. So, see for me, it's it's nineteen ninety one with the release of, of the RC. That to me was kind of the end. All right, because see for me, the old of end of old schoolish is two E before the advent of. Endless splat books that destroyed 2E. The TSR money grab? Yes. The T dollar sign R era? <laughs> All I gotta say is complete book of ninjas. I really? Re- yeah, well. Uh, I remember being on Prodigy and AOL and CompuServe. Hey, remember those three? Yep. Yes. And if you said anything bad about TSR in a post, something you would automatically ban from the group, especially if you put T dollar sign R. <laughs> Hated that. Hated it. Anything you put bad against something, you just to take it down right away and you get suspended. Yep. Well, and and late second edition, they they kept trying to breathe life into a game. Remember, second edition ran for 13 years, which wow. is a ridiculous length of time for an edition of a game. And they kept trying to come up with new material to maintain sustainability. You know, I, I firmly believe that if Watsy hadn't bought them, D&D would either have died out 
or become something completely alien and even more fringe. Yeah, quite possible. I I know at one point they were storming like the entire internet, which was very small at the time, and taking down every website that had oh, God. homemade D and D material on it. Yep. Yep, I remember that too. You have to go onto like Usenet to find things, and they're like, "Oh, look, the complete book of why TSR sucks." Yes. It was like a cease and desist order. You were doing copyright infringement, even though it was your own work. Yep. yep. But you mentioned D&D, or you put something in there, and that's... Well, and I, I wonder if any of that ever got cribbed into late second edition books. Not that it necessarily was, but I'm curious. Because there was a lot of really creative stuff out there. Much of it horribly unbalanced, but then again, the complete book of barbarians. Um, you a know. complete book of elves! Blade um, Singer! The, the guy who wrote that, there's a YouTube video out there of the guy who wrote that going, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, I was in my 20s, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, I had a Blade Singer in my group. I swear to God, I was so happy when I had to kill that character. I, 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 I hate to admit it, but I um, as much as I dislike them now, I was a total elf power gamer in my young days, and I played a Blade Singer. Ah, if you were playing an elf, you had to. Mm -hmm. Well, what a, really, if you were going to go elf, why not go, you know, Drow Bladesinger? Oh, jeez. Yep. Thank God you say it correctly. Oh, yes, it's Drow, not Dro. And it's Tiefling or Tiefling? It's Tiefling. Thank you. I mean, arguments you got, over the, got into those over the years. I've gotten to so many of them. No, it's Dro. No, it's Tiefling. Typhling, I've heard Typhling. Um, I don't really care. If you want to pronounce it wrong, that's your business. And then, you know, the funny thing about it was, it was always the argument, well, pronounce it how Gary pronounces it. Okay. Gary pronounced it both ways. <laughs> Facepalm. <laughs> right, oh. right. Because that was my, was my argument. Just, I say, Gary pronounces it this way. Do it this way. Well, I got a clip of Gary pronouncing it the other way. Show me. Well, I used to I used to pronounce it dro, and because my brother, I, who I learned a lot of my gaming from, my brother, pronounced it that way until I heard Salvatore say it one day, and I was like, "Oh, it's Drow, okay." Um, which made sense, I thought, because Drow and now and the the word structure and all that. But in the end, if you pronounce it wrong, it doesn't have any real impact in the game, and like you know, who cares? You just look like a fool. That's all. That's it. Speaking of fools. The three of us need to leave. Yes. Yes. Huh, what? Me? Huh? Okay. Okay. Wise guy, eh? Where? Why? Why are you order? <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Where? Uh, let's uh, yada yada yada. Good night. Good night, Good night people. Folks.